We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. The Suns are now up 3-2 on the Dallas Mavericks. A special welcome to those of you who are only able to listen after <laughs> wins. Welcome back. Welcome nice back to for the first time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, Sam? Pretty good. It's it's pretty hard to feel any other way after a response like that. You know, I think we all hoped, obviously, for the Suns to to give us a proper response. But a thirty-point trouncing is what we got, and uh, yeah, I'll be honest, man, I didn't, I didn't expect something quite to this extent. So, like the Dallas Mavericks, eighty points tonight. Yeah, finished with nine assists total as a team. Nine assists to let me double check, sixteen turnovers. Um, that Phoenix Suns defense clamped down, and you know, a lot of people demanded adjustments after Game Four, rightfully so. We got a whole lot of adjustments to talk about. Yeah, a fascinating game, I think. The way that it, this series has sort of swung from home court to home court is pretty crazy. Like you called there, it, and yeah, and there have been there have been series where you know each team wins their home court games that go to seven or whatever. But the difference in which the Suns have looked at home and the Dallas Mavericks have looked at home has been drastic. I think in this series, none of the games essentially at the end of games were close in any of these wins blowouts on the home court for each team which you know it's good news for the Suns because I think that things could not really have gone worse for the Suns in Dallas and I think they absolutely have a way to get better I'll, you know I guess you could say the same about the Mavs today but outside of that I think Luka Doncic was dominant in games one and two and they lost so they still had a good showing from their best player and they lost whereas the Suns just kind of fell apart in both games in Dallas and now they have a chance to close it out in game six. And that's where legends are made in games like that. So uh, away on the away court, you know, Booker can have a masterful game. You know, Aiton can have a masterful game, Chris Paul. And then you could, you know, you make legends by doing something like that. So I'm looking forward to that game to see what happens. And I do have news for you. We suffered. We suffered in this game. 
by listening to Reggie Miller. <laughs> Dude, oh my God, don't get me started. Who was just excruciating once again. But I do have news, and that news is J.J. Redick, for the first time, will be calling a Phoenix Suns game for Game 6 in Dallas for ESPN. We get J.J. Redick for Game 6. Who's your source? J.J. Redick is. Ah. <laughs> and Are he's we sure? very much looking forward to it, according to him. I'm sure I'm sure he is. That's uh, that's great news for us. Um, he's got I all know. his on Twitter really... on his side at this point, as we know, <laughs> as he as I know he jokes about. But um, yeah. Is, are we sure he hasn't done a Suns game yet? I thought maybe he did one in the no, he season, hasn't. But I guess he hasn't. I okay, I don't believe he has. There yeah. we go, so. dude. I mean, it's it's hard. I I don't want to spend too much time talking about the commentary when this game was so good, <laughs> but it's been tough this playoffs in general because Harlan is such a legend, man. I mean, I re- I really still consider it to be like a. Pr- there are yeah. tons of good play by play guys covering the NBA now. But like when Harlan calls your game, it's like a privilege to sit down and listen. Reggie's yeah. been Reggie's been so tough, and we got him through so the majority of the Pelican series, and mm-hmm. now like half mm-hmm. of the the Dallas series. And yeah, okay, they're changing it up in Game Six. That's that's good news <laughs> to to my ears. Can't wait. JJ, I was very up, much looking forward. For yeah, I asked. I asked his permission to tell everyone about that one because uh, it's just too exciting, and I knew Suns fans were going to be very excited. Of course. You, you people listen to this podcast know when I have secrets, I only say it on the podcast. I never uh, say it on Twitter. But yeah, I know you guys are looking forward to that one. Let's break down the differences, I think, in this game from the previous game because there's some massive and obvious ones, and I think there's some more subtle ones that we saw in this game. But I think we should start, I think, with the fact that Cameron Payne played zero minutes in this game until the, until it was over essentially. And what happened in the case of Cameron Payne, no longer playing was that Landry Shamit played and Landry Shamit played a lot. But I, what surprised me, I think that surprised me to some extent because I'm dumb and I didn't even think that they would do that. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes me, that makes me dumb as well, by the way, because I, yeah, didn't we're, we're both dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the extent to which they allowed Landry Shamit to handle the ball was surprising even after understanding that he was now in the place of Cameron Payne. They really let him start the and initiate significant numbers of plays, especially once they started going up. They were sort of almost testing the limits of which Landry Shamit could run the offense for the Suns, and I thought he played extremely well in this game. What would you think? I thought he played fine. Um <laughs> I'm not trying to take any credit away from him, but you know, I've pointed out uh on Twitter just statistically previously. I mean, Cam Payne has one of the worst net rating swings of any NBA player still playing in the playoffs at this point who's logged over like 100 or or 200 minutes or so um at this point in the playoff run. And, you know, kind of like our experience of remember when the Suns were a 19 win team and a big part of the leap from from them going from a 19 win team to that bubble season when they were an average team wasn't so much you upgraded with star talent Chris Paul wasn't on the team yet for example but it was more so you just kind of kicked the really really bad players out of your rotation I don't like the fact that this has been the case with campaign on this playoff run but the truth of it is and as much as I still root for the guy he has been an astronomically terrible player 
who just creates a very profound negative impact on the Suns rotation every time he's on the floor. And so I thought Shamu was good. I thought, you know, the flow of the offense was less disrupted um, with him running the show. But, you know, it wasn't so much that, to tell you the truth, Mike, it wasn't so much that he was like amazing as much it was just yeah. like replacing a really bad player with an average player makes a big difference. And, you know, I, th- I thought we saw that. It helped, obviously, he made a three. It helps that he got yeah. to the free throw line a couple of times. I, I, I don't... Four I, assists? Four assists, no turnovers, definitely good stuff. If I recall correctly, the, the free throw line stuff was just kind of him getting fouled on a couple of jumpers. Not necessarily... Oh, I, I actually, I think he did go for maybe one dunk attempt. Um, it's yeah. all kind of fuzzy he, in my head he tried already. To, yeah, he tried to yam it on, uh, I think it was but Berton's... Just, but just kind of the typical Landry Shamet thing of, you know, switching it up, not necessarily having a bread and butter to go to, but, you know, peppering in a, a little bit of everything and not dominating at any one thing, which, you know, again, it's not much of a criticism here in a game where the Suns yeah. won by 30. He played great, uh, but he didn't like he didn't take over the game in traditional sixth man fashion oh, or anything. Not. He was just He's incapable of that. <laughs> exactly. He was he was just he was yeah. just fundamentally solid. And I do think, you know, he if we're gonna talk about this basketball. I do think, by the way, if we're gonna talk about this, it almost matters less, a little bit less, his offense, if you're willing to turn the ball over so much yes. to book for point book, and it matters more pointing exactly. out how how fundamentally solid he is defensively. That's that's a big part of the equation as well. All year long we have attempted to convince people that actually Landry Sham, it's kind of good on defense this year. <laughs> We've brought it up over and over and over again. We talked about him as a chaser. We talked about his ability to fight through screens and we've talked about him just staying solid on the ball. Um, and I think he's pretty good at rotating off the ball as well. And even just the size difference between him and specifically Aaron holiday, who was the other option here. But even Cameron Payne, who I think was getting bullied pretty significantly in the minutes that he played, was obvious. Like he he's just a little bit bigger. And it's not a lot, but being a little bit bigger in the playoffs sometimes makes a big difference. And for him to come in and I think play as well as he had in the amount of minutes that he he played, I think is is key. And it shows uh, you know, that Monty was prepared, prepared him. I don't think Cameron Payne was surprised, right, that he wasn't getting minutes in this game. They definitely well, talked to him about it. Of course, and it would be remiss of us actually not to mention the fact that, you know, for Cam to have worked so hard to get back into the league in the first place and to enjoy the success that he's had, then to get benched in a pivotal game like this, the camera, the TNT camera angles still showing him he was probably the Suns' biggest cheerleader on the sidelines tonight. And I do right, think that's right. that, you know, if nothing else, it speaks to Cam's character, speaks to the Suns' culture, if you will, if you want to go there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, mature on the part of campaign who continues to support the team, even though obviously I'm sure it was difficult on him. I'm sure they gave him advance notice, like you said, but it's still tough. Yeah. And you know, I do feel bad for him just because as a, as a person who attempts to be an empathetic person, (laughs) I feel bad for him, but it's the right decision. I think he was a negative on the court more often than he was a positive. I, I, I can Literally, just just from the eye test, I can only think of one good game that Cameron Payne had, and he fouled out in that game. And that just kind of shows the extent to which I think he had been harming the Suns in this series. And for just like you said, for Landry Shamit to come in and just be kind of average is an upgrade. And that kind of shows the difference there. One of the other personnel changes that Monty Williams made in this game was Bismarck Biombo playing extensive minutes 
this is something I think you've been harping on instead of JaVale McGee, who only played three minutes in this game. Three minutes that I think were almost inexplicable with how good Biombo was playing. And he looked great. I think that Biombo just kind of, he does his job. What'd you think of Biombo? We were, by the way, we were still on the struggle bus for those JaVale three minutes. Those three minutes yeah. felt like a long time in the early <laughs> second quarter. And I understand Aiton picked up the, the early two fouls like in two minutes or, or something crazy. So he, he did not necessarily have the greatest start to the game. Like he finished much better. But yeah, man, Bismack, I mean, he was a plus 20 in 21 minutes. And with him, it's like, obviously you're giving up some of the rim gravity the role gravity that you have with JaVale but on the other hand JaVale has been giving us so many questionable deci- uh, decisions uh, like he's basically been guaranteed for an offensive foul on one of his drives to the rim every single game this series <laughs> if not multiple and in fact he came in in this game and in those three minutes I, I think he picked mm-hmm. up one tonight as well mm-hmm. um, so Bismack you you trust his decision making for on defense what we've talked about all season long like specifically if you want to know the reason why i've always advocated for bismack it's because you trust in his mobility and that's really yeah. what it, it's always been a question of being able to trust his mobility he switched out onto luca he did a great job on luca denying penetration encouraging him to take difficult step back threes that ultimately got the dallas offense nowhere so that was like your big motivation for playing bismack but just in all facets of the game, he's 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 like Landry in that he's just really fundamentally solid, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, except for the occasional fumbled pass on offense. But you know, yeah. even even in, even there, he was good tonight. There were no fumbled Bismack Biombo passes on offense. No. He was totally acceptable. Um, and when he looks acceptable on offense, and you know you're getting positive value from him on defense, it combines into being a pretty valuable player, actually. Yeah, and you could yeah you combine his ability to move his feet with the length that he has, which is similar to Javale's. He just makes things harder for the other team. It's not just necessarily his ability to contest shots, which of course, I mean he's one of the best on the team at that, but also just making it more difficult to get the offense started, making the passes around him more difficult, forcing Luca to maybe pump fake two or three times before firing a pass because of because of his length and his ability to close out. All of those things, I think, matter a lot, and I think it was really smart. We've been begging for it. Look, we've been begging for somebody other than JaVale McGee. We mentioned it in our preview. We said this is not a JaVale McGee series, and it's no fault of his. It's the reason that they're on the team. In fact, I want to say this, too. The thing about Biombo that I think is pretty interesting is that he was signed a few months into the season when the Suns were struggling, signed to a 10-day, I think three days, maybe two games into that 10-day, he was signed for the rest of the season. But also, the Suns had a roster spot open, and they were able to fill that roster spot with Biombo. And then after Biombo was signed, James Jones talked about the fact that they spoke to Biombo before the season and always had some sort of intention of him coming to the team. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, because when that roster spot was left open at the beginning of the season... To some extent, people were kind of killing the Suns for that and, you know, calling Robert Sarver cheap or whatever. Uh, not as much publicly as I personally saw it in DMs. Uh, but I do think that James Jones adding that flexibility into the roster and then adding Biombo late in the season or sort of, you know, a few months into the season is paying dividends right now in a pretty obvious way. And it's pretty amazing, you know, for Biombo to keep himself in shape to come Huge. into the league yep. after his father dying. The, maybe the best shape on the team, by the way. 
And then, you uh, know, we've said it, we've said it before, but that, to me, that's the most remarkable thing about him. I'll let you finish your point, though. It just, to, just, it's incredible for him to, to keep himself in shape, find a way to fight through what is a tragedy for him, play on the Suns team and contribute immediately, and especially when they needed him. They, there was a period of time where he was literally the only healthy center on the team. And now contribute in the playoffs, all while donating the entirety of his salary to build hospitals in his home country. It's just a really, really great story for uh, Bismarck Biombo, and it was really cool to see him have a great game tonight. I recognize that this this isn't necessarily as noble or high roady as donating his entire salary to build hospitals in the Congo, but also uh, ejecting uh, Marquise Chris at the end of that game for us was a nice victory cigar in this one. I have to have to be honest I enjoyed that and what a stupid decision on the part of Marquise Chris of all players to test Bismack Biombo because that is not that's not the guy <laughs> that's not the guy you want to be and facing then Ish Wayne, and then Ish Wainwright after yeah the buzzer I can't not if you guy. had to pick honestly if you if you started just with one player that would be the player you wouldn't want to test I think it would be between Biombo and maybe Jay Crowder but number two, at the very least, would be Ish Wainwright. Like, those two guys are the most... They're probably top 1% strongest players in the NBA. And those are the two guys uh, that they were testing. Yeah, it's pretty funny to see Marquise Chris get injected have, for old time's sake. Do you have any hot takes on uh, just kind of the... Because, you know, Dallas fans are already complaining about it. And it's like... It's the whole baseball kind of unwritten rules thing of oh you shouldn't try to score in the in the last twenty you know the last shot clock's worth uh, of possession time the last twenty four seconds and you know from where I'm standing obviously it's easy to say right now as a Suns fan but I have always believed this too fuck that <laughs> it's Unri- there's more time unwritten- there's more time on the clock unwritten rules are dumb but I don't I don't unwritten actually know rules- if you Unwritten rules are for baseball that's what I'll say that's my take I hate yeah leave them. that I think leave that to the stupid. dying sports. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I think they're always dumb. And I think that players who want to play until the end of the clock is fine. As long as you're not doing something reckless and trying to injure people, then it doesn't matter. It's just basketball. It is what the game is. And, you know, conceding something or allowing the shot clock to run out. I mean, people have probably heard me say this before, <laughs> to be honest. This is a consistent take of mine. I think it's always been dumb. And I think unwritten rules in particular are the types of things that actually make baseball in particular frustrating and make that sport less interesting to watch because of how uh, much they are beholden to those unwritten rules like no celebrating after a home run no bat flips or whatever yeah well the ones in baseball really are egregious i mean here we're talking about like one extra blown layup you know at the at the very end of the game that's one thing but when you're talking about no celebrating after home runs yeah it's crazy (laughs) it really is crazy We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Are you surprised that the Suns won this game and Chris Paul only had seven points? Um, I am not super surprised because, frankly, we've seen games like this before when the Suns' offense is not just the Suns' offense. Frankly, when the Suns uh, on both ends of the floor are just clicking. And we start with the fact that the Suns made all the the right adjustments. That, this Okay, they didn't play a perfect game defensively, actually, I think we should point out, especially in that first half. There were still mistakes, uh, especially when it came to the help defense. Whose guy is this? Uh, oh, is it my guy? Is it your guy? Not you know, no one necessarily stepping up into the right position. Those moments still happened, and I think we can also admit that the Suns still got lucky with the shooting hands cooling off significantly of the Dallas Mavericks. Look, at the end of the day, yes, they did a much better job running guys off the three point line. They did a much better job contesting, um, but the Dallas Mavericks ultimately shot twenty five percent from deep. And, you know, sometimes you just shoot like that and it's a lot easier to win the game. That's just what it is. They still made the right adjustments to get them in the right place, regardless of whether the Mavs were shooting well or poorly. How it relates to Chris Paul. Uh, you've made all the right adjustments. Now you go into game six and I don't think I really don't think it's the end of the world for the Suns to have more tricks up their sleeve in the form of you can get a better Chris Paul game later when it counts. But you, we've seen them win like this before in a in a good fashion without necessarily getting a stellar offensive performance from Chris Paul other than the fact that he does his thing runs the offense and if at a later date you need him you know that he'll show up i have no worries about chris paul being able to show up in a more dire situation hypothetically speaking in game 6 or game 7 but how do you feel yeah that's a, i think that's a really good point uh we talked about it on our last episode but Chris Paul fouling out at the end of the game. Oftentimes the Suns save certain sets for end of game scenarios where they absolutely need a bucket and they don't want them to get used to defending it over and over and over again. And then they run those sets to try and catch them off guard and score some easy points. They still have that now. That's two games in a row where they didn't run those sets basically. And uh, now with Chris Paul at the helm, if um, 
I don't know. Maybe I don't think there's anything wrong with him. You know, like it doesn't seem like he's injured or anything. It just well, that's seems what like, it, that's what people. Some people were speculating online openly like uh and i'm not gonna mention specific names because frankly i don't remember who it was but yeah just some people being like what's wrong with chris paul there's something wrong." three with chris games paul. in a row three games in a row where he's just kind of not great scoring wise yeah i i, I, I get I think, it I, I understand questioning it i just don't see it usually i think you can trust your eyes with that kind of thing and it doesn't seem like that's an issue right yeah, uh, people want to, and this makes sense. It's logical. People want to believe that there's this temptation when you have a, a game as bad as he had in game four that he would want to go out and just kill them in game five and, you know, have like the 14 for 14 game that he had in, in the closeout game six against the Pelicans. But with Chris Paul's mindset in particular, it just doesn't always work like that. Like there were stretches uh, at at the best portions of this game where he was killing them in the way that Chris Paul typically kills a defense like just spamming uh in the second quarter spamming double drag over and over again just getting the natural options that flow out of a set like that and just getting assist after assist he still finished with his 10 assists did have maybe four turnovers that's maybe a couple more than usual but I wasn't overly concerned with Chris Paul's level of play tonight the shot making is something that we know he typically saves for games that are not blowouts, and this was a blowout. So that's that's where I am. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that's why I'm not necessarily concerned. Uh, if I saw the box score and I just initially looked at Chris Paul's stats, I'd be concerned. You'd be a little concerned, uh, and and we might get some of that. You know, we might get some yeah. of that in the next day or two, and I I get that. And and by the way, not just the box score watchers. If you watch the game and you're concerned about Chris Paul, look, I get it, but I think, I, I don't know. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt at this point. I think this was just a game where you did not need him to be that guy. You know, take take those gifts when they come. And I think the willingness to allow Devin Booker and Landry Shamit to run the offense actually helped. And, you know, we don't need a ton more of Landry Shamit, especially in a close game. But allowing Devin Booker essentially to be the point guard for a significant portion of these games and, and create against mis- mismatches was smart. I think that's the right way to approach this because he had another great game. Devin Booker, 28 points, uh, two assists, seven rebounds, 11 for 20 uh, from the field. Two steals and only two turn, yeah, only two turnovers on the game. He was plus twenty five on the game, and for a brief period of time there, it felt like he was going to need to play every minute because he started the game well, came out of the game, and the Suns immediately lost the lead as soon as he came out. Came back in the game, and the Suns went on a ten two run with Devin Booker coming back into the game, and I was concerned at that point. I was like, okay, well, Devin Booker. Clearly, the best player in the series uh, for the Suns needs to just do everything for this team. Uh, but then I think things just started clicking. There was a nice run with Chris Paul in the game and Devin Booker not in the game, along with Landry Shamit in the game in the second half as well. And things just looked pretty good in that stretch as well. And that even included, like I was talking about earlier, Landry Shamit handling the ball for extended periods. And it just kind of worked, whether it be Chris Paul or Landry Shamit. So that was encouraging. And, you know, Devin Booker, I think, can have another great game. It would be no surprise in in Dallas and I think even with Reggie Bullock potentially being slightly injured he was available to come back uh you know that takes away one of their defenders by the way Jay Crowder had some sort of shoulder something at the end of the game um, we'll find out more about that people did point out I would need to see the video replay because we're obviously recording right afterwards and I only saw this live People were pointing out that Jay was ready to throw hands or ready to scrap uh (laughs) during that 
that little whatever it was. I between, saw him. Um, I, I don't know. He was so I guess he was already out of the locker room at that point. I didn't pay any attention to him. I was just watching Biombo and Marquis Chris. Um, but if he was willing to fight, maybe that implies something. I don't know. Maybe you he was could, just trying to maybe he was just trying to jaw at a guy because he's Jay Crowder and that's kind of what he does. Yeah. You can adrenaline can make you fight through anything. I think yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it was, but I know that there's there's shoulder you can get a shoulder stinger. You can get hit in the nerve in your shoulder and just it can bother you. And hopefully it's just something that's temporary and he'll be fine in the next game because I think he, he offensively he was not he was great in the first four games in the series offensively, I should say. A combination of being able to hit his shots, but also being able to catch it and a willingness to drive on Doncic, who was oftentimes hidden on Jay Crowder, has made him an important piece to this team offensively. And so he didn't quite do that tonight, but I think his stretch guarding Doncic, where it was just him on Doncic, I think he did a great job. And I think overall, he has been one of the more consistent players for the Suns in this series. So I really hope he can play that game. You that, know, um, I just mm-hmm. keep thinking about that one possession uh, in the first half where he dove on the ground uh, while he was guarding Luka one-on-one. And he was left entirely on an island. No other defender. This is one of the adjustments, by the way, that I loved from the Suns tonight that we talked about. We debated spiritedly. Uh, after last game, you remember, <laughs> which is that nail help, that aggressive nail help that the Suns were playing. And I argued, well, look, I want them to be even more aggressive. I want them to trap. They did it a couple of times, but ultimately they didn't really go towards that, which is yeah, fine with me. Maybe three times. Yeah. I yeah, think. They, they did it. I think I liked I think, it every time. I think the most important thing is this. It's not about choosing any one defensive strategy. Because if you actually broke it down possession by possession, what the Suns did on Luka tonight, they employed a handful of strategies. But it's about each strategy has its own obvious purpose, and each of them is played with the necessary level of effort, of focus, of conviction. So the thing that was bothering me about all of the aggressive nail help in the last game was you were conceding those rotations way too easily without doing it without getting the advantage of generating more turnovers, right? If you're playing extra defenders, if you're putting extra defenders on the ball, you should be getting something out of that. You should be causing wreaking havoc. And we did not see any of that in game three and game four. Lo and behold, they come into a game like this where actually for the most part, like you just mentioned, or like we just mentioned, yeah, they did blitz a couple of times. But for the most part, they were just switching straight up, not playing guys aggressively in a helper role. Um, and, and leaving guys out on islands, whether it be DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, Bismack Biombo, and everyone did really, really well, I thought. Um, but the rotations then around them, those other guys were able to create interceptions and deflections and turn those into steals. And in fact, Dallas had, I want to say, like 12 turnovers in the third quarter, right? Wasn't that what that was in that third quarter where the Suns outscored them 33 to 14? 12 turnovers in one quarter is more than Dallas had in all of game three and in all of game four. Um, so, yeah, the, the sorry to go off on that tangent right there about the defensive strategy. I just want to point out, really happy with what they did there defensively tonight. But with Jay specifically, I keep thinking about that one possession where he dove on the floor um, and just and got into Luka's space in a way that as good of a defender as Mikhail Bridges is, we've sometimes complained with him in the past. Like, he was great tonight in terms of getting out in the passing lanes and he finished with four steals and it created a bunch of fast break points and it was awesome. But when he's just a one-on-one defender matched up with an elite playmaker, an elite creator on the perimeter, 
he's not always the best at some of as as some of these other intimidators around the league at getting up into a guy's space, taking away his space, and getting into his head ultimately. And I think Jay Crowder is more successful in his one-on-one possessions against Luca tonight than we've seen Mikael Bridges really have success with all all series long, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I'll be interested to see how the Suns start Game Six defensively. I have a feeling. Just knowing what Monty does, if things work, he tends to stick with them. I think they need to be a little more prepared than they were like coming into Game 3 where Dallas was just extremely prepared to counter a lot of the things that worked well for the Suns. And if Dallas, once again, comes into Game 6 prepared to counter some of the things that the Suns did in this game, it could catch them flat-footed. So the Suns need to have options to change it up. Like, you know, I've been asking for Jay Crowder on Luka Doncic and Mikael Bridges on Jalen Brunson. There were stretches in this game where that looked really good. And I think it's not just a comment. It's not just that I think Jay Crowder is okay on Luka. Like, as just about as good as Mikael could be, honestly, because Mikael is struggling with Luka in this series. But also having Mikael off the ball to be able to potentially force turnovers with his long arms matters too because they're trying to swing it to Brunson in those cases or if he switches he can get on shooters and get into the right. passing lanes on those shooters I think that type of thing helps a lot too so yeah, we'll see what he, they and, end up doing and he had multiple of those pick six type plays tonight in a way that we just haven't really seen him put into those spots uh, for the most part at all this series I don't know yeah, off four, the top of four my head steals in this game I don't know off the top of my head how many steals he had in games one through four but it wouldn't surprise me if you told me he just doubled his his steal total uh, yeah. for the entire series in one game. Yeah, uh, well, he's had a few. He's had a few nice ones on Luca that I remember. The thing about Mikel, too, is I think something we haven't spent a lot of time talking about in our postgame podcasts, but just how much of a difference the extra offense they get from Bridges has made in this series. He He hasn't been great. He wasn't great in the games in Dallas, and... In the wins, he's been great. He's done an excellent job. And for him to... He missed an, like, an insane amount of, of layups <laughs> against Dallas in Dallas or those little short paint shots that he hits. And he was on with those shots tonight. And I think if that's something that they could take advantage of again in game six, six that could be the whole game right there, right? Because that's a little extra. It's, uh, like you've been saying, him, so. it's like you've been saying all along, man. I mean, we talked about Booker. So we talked about Chris Paul first. Not worried about Chris Paul, right? I think we're on the same page there. Talked about Devin Booker. Devin Booker's impact, frankly, in this series between the wins or the losses, it's just unquestioned. He's been consistently yeah. great. Yeah. So like you say all the time, the stars are going to show up in Dallas. We know they are. The role players are going to show up in Dallas for Dallas. Like, you know, you might get another Dorian Finney-Smith game. You mm-hmm. might get hope, another. Hope not. Yeah. Hope not. But you might get another Maxi Kleba game. Hope not. But it might happen. They're going to be in Dallas. You know it's going to be tough. And the question now is, can with all of the successful adjustments that you've made, carry over that momentum and also get a couple of nice performances from your role players on the road to bring yeah. you over the top? So if that and came how about from DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton, being a yep. star? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. He was good in this game. You know, like he was good. There was that one play where he caught it in the paint, and he didn't know that he was wide open and he didn't turn around and dunk it and I sort of went into this weird comatose state where I flash back to every single time he did that in his first two years with the Suns and I was terrified that he was going to be terrible for the rest of the game and his confidence was shot 
And then that ended up not being the case. I thought he was good in this game. He had 20 points, two assists, nine rebounds. Nothing that, I mean, the 20 points looks good, but nothing that like pops up when looking at the box score. But I thought his effort to defend was good. And here's something small with him. When he closes out, there's these fake closeouts that he does. And then there's like real closeouts where he's like running and jumping and attempting to not foul. In this game, we got the real closeouts. It wasn't just sort of the turn and sort of swipe his arm at a guy. Like he really affected shooters that were shooting from three by hard closing out on guys. And I think that is almost, if you see him start closing out hard on guys and he looks like he's closing out, I would say with intention, then that's a good sign for how he's going to play for the rest of the game. And I think his effort was on in this game and we need him to be a star in game six. And I think just him, him and Mikel, just bringing that little bit of extra offense and then being extremely solid on defense, which is, I'm not going to mince words. It's asking a lot because that's asking them to be really great on both sides of the ball. But that's what does it. That's what gets the Suns over the hump. That's what allows them to beat the Dallas Mavericks. So we'll and, see if um, they can do that. For Aiton specifically, the tracking data for him matched up on Luka Doncic defensively uh, in this series. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you. I'll post it tomorrow it's got to look pretty good. I think it already looked pretty good going into this game, and this game especially. You forced him into a lot of tough step-back threes, of which he didn't really make any. It's going to look pretty good. <laughs> uh, Cam Johnson also was good. Just want to give a shout-out to him before uh, this podcast ends. It's funny that the two guys on the team that are like the shooters, I'm going to put that in quotes, Landry Shamit, Cameron Johnson are the are the two most aggressive towards the rim when they get a clear path to the rim. Like those guys are always trying to dunk on guys like all the time. And somehow those are the two guys that are considered shooters. It'd be nice if they had their shots back. Neither of them bad in this game, but it'd be nice if they could shoot that 40% that we expect out of them at some point. You got anything else before we go on this one? Not that I can... Are we missing anything obvious? We covered the basic adjustments. Basketball-wise, um, probably. Uh, it's hard to do these after the game immediately. I always think of something an hour later that I'm like, damn, I should have talked about that. <laughs> yeah. But Oh, oh, oh. Game six? Playback? Game six. Playback, yes. We're doing Let's that do one it. on playback. You're going to get us and JJ Redick if you're a patron oh, that's uh, a good calling point. that game. So I'm excited to, I'm excited to hear him because even when we do the games, we can kind of hear the the broadcasts as well. And I'm sure we're going to get some good stuff from JJ Redick in that game. But yeah, join us if you want to patreon.com slash the timeline. We're going to post a link to that game probably sometime during, during the day. And you could join us for the game. Once it starts, I'm pretty excited on that one. I know we keep picking these games where Dallas has a home court advantage and that's tough, <laughs> but hopefully the Suns just close it out and we can have a grand old time on patreon we're looking forward to that one but yeah i think that's all we got here so we appreciate you guys we'll be back with the regular podcast after game six which is on thursday if it goes to game seven that game would be sunday the first time they'd have two days off between games in this series so game six thursday hopefully that's the end of it we'll be back after that one appreciate you guys
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.